God's family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now, Lord, as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray for everyone who's here today. This would be the most attentive hour of our week as we receive from your word what you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control, that you're a faithful God. Be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So Daniel, as we know, the first six chapters of Daniel are really a historical account of the life of Daniel, who was taken captive as a teenage boy, drug off into captivity in Babylon. We know that as a 13-year-old, he purposed in his heart that he was going to serve God no matter what. And that's why we see him in his 80s in the lion's den. The second half of Daniel is all prophecy. So they've had visions of future generations, and we've seen multiple dreams and visions that talked about the coming kingdoms. He's living in the time of Babylon. God had already showed him that the Medo-Persians were going to take over from Babylon. Uh, today, he's, the Persians, again, we'll see that that's going forward. And then after that, we saw that after the Medo-Persians would be the Greeks, and that was Alexander the Great. Now, that was prophesied a couple hundred years before it happened. And we're going to see, again, one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture is in this morning's text. Guys, the Bible is filled with hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies where God foretells something that will happen before it happened, and then it happens exactly the way he says it's going to happen. And we have prophecies that are still coming, and because all of those have been true, we know the ones that are coming will be true as well. Amen? And we can trust that. And so we saw those that the final group would be the Romans, and they did rule for about a thousand years, but it talks about in the book of Revelation that in the last days that the Antichrist will come from that last kingdom. So it'll come out of what is the old Roman Empire, so basically out of Europe. Uh, People are always wondering who the Antichrist is. I'm not really all that worried about it because I truly believe that we will be raptured before he even comes on the scene. And we don't need to worry about him and we don't need to look for the Antichrist. We just need to keep looking to Christ, amen? We need to be worried about what's going on in the world around us as much as being faithful to minister to it. And so last week we saw Daniel's fervent prayer. And the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And prayer for us is not just, you know, us getting our wish lists and running into, you know, God's throne room and just telling him all the things we want. And for some people, that's what happens. They only pray when they want something or when they're desperate. And the Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food and to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. Guys, these are not emergency things we run to. This should be our daily food. We should be praying. We should be in the word. And when we do, we walk in intimate fellowship with God. And when we walk in intimate fellowship with God, God will use us. And as we will see with Daniel this morning, God reveals great things to us. He gives us direction. He shows us his will when we spend time in his presence. So last week we saw his prayer He started off by praying about the greatness of our God. Why is that important? Because when you recognize how great our God is, the things you're praying about are nothing compared to his greatness. Guys, our trials are only big if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen? And Daniel prays fervently. And then we're going to see this morning when it picks up, while he's praying, God's going to send an angel to come talk to him. Now, I, I would, now, if there's even a one in a billion chance of that happening, we ought to pray more. Can I get an amen to that? Wouldn't it be great if Gabriel just showed up in your living room during your prayer time? And, but you know, here's the good news. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and he's always with us. And if you want to get closer to God, spend time in his presence. If you have your outline, grab it. I hope you were able to get one. I guess we, we almost ran out. 
And I printed more than I've ever printed, so that's a good thing. Amen? The title of the message is 70 Weeks of Daniel. This is very confusing to a lot of people. Here's been my prayer as I've been studying this, that none of you will leave here confused. You know, that every one of you will understand this prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And in light of the 70 weeks of Daniel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be comforted, be ready, and be vigilant. Guys, we should be comforted in knowing that God's in control. He holds the future in his hands. And we know that the Lord is coming back for us. He's going to rapture the church. We know that he's in control. We know after the end of the seven-year tribulation, we're going to come back with him and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. But knowing all that should not only make us ready and be comforted, but it should make us vigilant to reach people with the truth of the gospel. Amen? Amen. So be praying for that. Amen? Amen. Here's the outline. Um, Prayer is intimate fellowship between you and Almighty God. I watched this video, and they were asking people, if you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be? And they're all picking, you know, movie stars and guys who hit balls with a stick, people like that, right? And they're all saying who they would want to, and not one person said Jesus. Not one person said anything, you know, it's just tragic, right? But the reality is we can have intimate fellowship with Jesus anywhere and anytime. When he died on the cross, the veil was torn. We can enter into his presence. We can talk to the Lord while we're driving in our cars. Keep your eyes open, but we can drive while we're driving. We can pray. And you know what? Intimate fellowship with God is available and he desires to have intimate fellowship with you. And if you're not as close to God as you should be, whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. It's our fault. So intimate prayer and intimate fellowship between you you and Almighty God, and we don't pray to educate or inform God. I mean, it's just tragic when I hear people telling God what he needs to know. And God, you need to know that you need to know he doesn't need to do any of that. He's all-knowing, we're not. He's great, we're not. He's faithful, we're not. Amen? And his will is not my will, but thy will be done. But guys, intimate fellowship and prayer is key. It doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. Point number two, those that walk closest with God have a greater understanding of who God is and his perfect will. See, Daniel was known for his deep love for the Lord. You know what's interesting? The two men that we've just been studying, now God wrote it. The apostle John wrote Revelation and Daniel writes the book of Daniel. And they are are given some of the greatest prophecy in all of human history, and both of them are described as people who God loved and, he, and that loved God. Is it surprising to you that somebody who loves God, who walks in intimate fellowship with God, receives a great deal from God? Amen? And they could be trusted with the truth. And so it's not surprising, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote the book of Revelation. Of course, the Holy Spirit did it through him but also Daniel. And we're going to see in this morning's text that God's going to speak so clearly to Daniel and give him understanding of what the, what's going to take place in the future. But he could trust him because he was a man who walked in intimate fellowship with him. Number three, God has a plan for Israel and the Jews and that, his, that has and will impact the whole world. God is pro-Israel. Amen? And we are pro-Israel. Amen? And God's people are the Jews. Now, are we his children? What's the answer? But his chosen people is still Israel. It's still the Jews, and God's not done with them yet. Pray for me tomorrow night. I'm going to a a presentation with a man who's pro-Israel and a man who's pro-Palestine, and they asked me if I would come. So let's see how that goes. (laughs) 
quickly, I was at the doctor's office. Most of you know, I've had some health issues. I was at the doctor's office the other day getting a CT scan. And I was in there getting, I had my IV in. I'm waiting for my turn. And this guy across from me starts talking to me. Why are you drinking contrast? I don't have that. And he starts talking to me about stuff. And I go, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Jerusalem. I said, really? And I go, really? Well, that's awesome. I'm pro-Israel. He goes, no, no, no. I'm a Muslim. I said, oh, okay. And, he, and so he starts telling me all the reasons why the Jews are wrong. He goes, what do you think about that? I said, I don't agree with anything you just said. <laughs> None of it. By the way, you, you're Muslim. Do you believe in the Quran? He said, yes. I said, doesn't the Quran say that Jesus Christ is a prophet? He said, well, yeah, it does. I said, so how many times can a prophet lie? He said, none. I said, well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So even the Quran tells you, you need to give your, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, and what do you think of Hamas? How's that Hamas thing working out? What do you think about that? And so we talked, and he got a little heated. And then a guy that was out in the hall heard us talking, came in and said, dude, I want a front row to this. So he came in and sat down. <laughs> but the point is, that we need to be vigilant and look for opportunities. And you know what? By the time we were done, I hugged this guy. I gave him my card and we walked out together. And you can tell people the truth and do it in love. But guys, God's pro-Israel. We're pro-Israel. Amen? It doesn't mean everything they do is perfect. What it means is God's not done with them. And God has a plan for them. The greatest revival of all human history is going to take place during the tribulation when 144,000 Jewish missionaries get saved or sharing the gospel. And I believe millions of Jews will be saved. And so we want to provoke them to jealousy. We want to be a Christ-like example to them. Amen? Amen? Point number three, point number four, excuse me. God is in control and faithful to his promises. We're going to look at the, the, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And some of your heads are going to explode, but that's okay. I hope that I can make it, a, you know, I want to teach deep truths in a simple way, but we're going to see the 70 weeks of Daniel and we're going to see all the things that take place. And it gives us a list of these six things that will take place with Israel during that 70 weeks of Daniel. And as we go through them, again, my prayer is it will be something that again ministers to you. So let's begin there in Daniel chapter nine, picking up at verse 20, where we left off last week. The first thing we're going to see here, we're only looking at seven verses, but I have 52 pages of notes, so let's just see how this goes. All right. Prayer is intimate fellowship between you and Almighty God. Now look what it says here. This is Daniel speaking. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. So while I was speaking, this dramatic answer to Daniel's prayer came as he was praying. You know, often God will, we pray in our time and God answers in his time. But there are times that God will answer our prayer while we are praying. And this is exactly what takes place with Daniel. Daniel's walking in intimate fellowship with God. He's pouring out his heart. Notice he says, confessing our sins. Daniel is one of the few people in scripture that has no recorded sin in the Bible, even though we have 70 years of his life. But we know he's a sinner because all men are. And here he's confessing his sin. But this godly man is aligning himself with the failures of his own people. They were not walking with the Lord at the time. And he's confessing on their behalf. And as he's confessing, God is going to speak to him. Again, we don't pray to educate God. Jesus said, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. 
So people say this to me all the time. Why do I even pray? Pastor, I don't understand. So if my prayer is not going to change things, why do I pray? I said, well, it'll change things in your heart. It'll change things in your life. It doesn't need to change God. God doesn't need to change because God is perfect. Amen? He doesn't change his mind. It changes our hearts. If he changed his mind, he wouldn't be sovereign. He, he knows what he's doing. He's a faithful God, and we trust him. Amen? But here's what you miss out when you don't pray. You miss out on that intimate fellowship and allowing the Lord to minister to you and spending time in his presence. And so God created prayer so that you could spend more time with him. You could come humbly before him. And prayer isn't just one way. We are praying to God, but he's ministering to us by his Holy Spirit at the same time. Amen? It's not a one-way conversation. We just come in and talk to God. So Daniel is interceding on behalf of the people. He's speaking directly to the Lord. He's crying out to God on behalf of, of Israel, of Jer Jerusalem specifically. And as he is praying, the Lord is going to speak to him. Again, prayer is intimate fellowship where you share your heart, you confess your sins, you intercede on behalf of others. You seek God's wisdom and direction. You thank him for who he is and all that he has done. You glorify his name and all that you pray should always be in agreement with the word of God. Amen? Amen. So you come humbly. Lord, confess to him. He already knows. Be transparent with God. He already knows. Come intercede on behalf of others. You know there's people that you can pray for that have never prayed in their life and no one else on this planet is praying for them? Why don't you be the one? Why don't I be the one that prays for them? Amen? I've been praying for this Muslim man since Friday, and I'm going to keep praying for him. It's actually Wednesday. I'm going to keep praying for him. And then on Friday, I went back, and the lady that was doing my CT scan started talking to her about the Lord. Her husband just left her. I ended up praying with her in the middle of the hallway, and another guy comes up and says, can you pray for me? Guys, let's just be available. Let's just be available. Let's just pray for divine. I, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace. We all have the same Holy Spirit. There's no, I don't have a gift you don't have when it comes to that. We're all called to share our faith. Let's be, be available to people and share the hope that lies within us. Amen? Pray in faith, trusting God. And that's what we need to do. And while we pray in our time, God answers in his time. And when there's a delay in the answer to prayer, there's a reason. There's a reason. And when God says no, there's a reason. And some of them we won't understand until we get to heaven. I shared this last week. You know, I, I prayed so diligently for my son Mark struggling with depression for 15 years. And I prayed for other people and I saw, I saw God, their depression was overcame and their struggle with addiction, all of it was overcame. But our own son, it didn't happen. And I could be mad at God if I didn't trust in his sovereignty, if I didn't trust in his will, if I didn't trust in his love, if I didn't trust in his grace. And because God sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. Amen? And so even when we don't get the answer we want... We need to know that God is greater and more faithful and, and smarter, of course, than we are. When it is right to do it, God can answer prayer immediately. And sometimes God answers prayer even before we pray. It says in Isaiah, it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God hears Daniel's prayer and he dispatches an angel, Gabriel, to bring him the answer. Now, he'd already seen Gabriel in the vision. Gabriel is one of three angels mentioned in the Bible. And Gabriel, like Michael, maybe considered an archangel, but Gabriel's the one that delivers the news to Mary that she's pregnant with Jesus. He delivers the news to Elizabeth that she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And now he's delivering the news to Daniel as to what the future holds. And so uh, an angel is a messenger. Notice what it says here. Being caused to flock fly swiftly 
talking about the angel. This is one of the few places in the Bible where you see angels fly. By the way, there's not one place in the Bible that says angels have wings. Did you know that? Not in the Bible. Somebody made that up for Cupid or something. I don't know. They might have wings. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They can get around quick with or without them because that's our God. Can I get an amen to that? But he, so he moves quickly. He flies swiftly. And nowhere, again, nowhere does it talk about wings. And Gabriel came quickly, sent by God. And we will see next week in Daniel 10, 13, it says this. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Notice that while God can be omnipresent, angels are not. And so they're moving physically, and this will give us all a headache. Where is heaven exactly, right? And we, a lot of people think, well, it's outside of the galaxies and it's really far away. I don't think it's far away. I could be wrong. I don't think it's far away. I know that we know in Revelation that some of the people that have been martyred are looking down on what's happening on the earth saying, Lord, why don't you smoke these people? When are you going to bring vengeance? You said you're going to bring vengeance. Lord, you need to do it. Why don't you knock these people out? Now, thankfully, God's not listening to them and he's being faithful. Amen. He, he knows his plan. But the reality is that they have a vision of what's going on in the earth. Do everybody in heaven? I don't know. And we don't know until we get to heaven. But here's the reality is that I don't think it's as far away. Because our, our God is outside of time and space, which means the dimension could literally be right here. But I don't know. But the point is he sends him and he faces opposition. There is a spiritual battle that takes place. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. So it's a spiritual battle that we fight. And so the angel was coming to him and was held off. The prince of Persia speaks of, you know, these demons have dominion over certain countries and lands, and they were having a, there's, there's this conflict on coming to deliver the message. And so Gabriel comes, and he's going to speak to Daniel, and he's going to give him the answer that he's looking for, because he doesn't fully understand. Now, what's amazing is Daniel's praying about the present. He's saying, Lord, forgive us in Israel right now. Lord, help us in Israel and praying for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And he's praying for all these things in the immediate. Then Gabriel's going to come and give him answers about the eternal. And so often when we pray, we come humbly seeking something less and God will show us something even greater. But that doesn't happen if we don't spend time in God's presence. Again, there can be delays due to spiritual welfare, but I personally do not believe heaven is far away. In Revelation, we saw again the saints looking down on, he- on earth. Now, God heard Daniel's prayer, and he immediately sent Gabriel. And it says, he reached me, at the end of verse 2 there, about the time of the evening offering. There were two daily burnt offerings that took place in Jerusalem every single day at the temple, a morning and an evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice took place at 3 p.m. It was a sacrifice of a lamb that would be burnt on the altar, and it was also the time of evening prayer. This was a special time of day, It's also when Moses offered up his lamb. It's when Jesus was crucified, all at the time of that second sacrifice. Now, what's interesting, though, there hadn't been any sacrifices in 60 years. Because when the children of Israel, when the people of Jerusalem were taken captive, the temple was leveled. And while he's praying this, the temple has been destroyed. It gets rebuilt later. But he's still remembering the evening hour of prayer. And one of the things I love about Daniel, one of the many things I love about Daniel, even though no one else was praying at that time, Daniel still did. Even though the temple worship had stopped, he's still worshiping. 
Even though the sacrifices could not be made in a temple, he was still coming humbly before God. Guys, we should not determine our prayer life and our faithfulness on what the rest of the world is doing. We should walk with God even if nobody will go with us. Amen? And too often what we have is, well, this is what the church does. I don't even care what the church does. What does Jesus Christ command? There's a lot of people that call themselves the church, and they're not the church. 60% of evangelical people that say they're evangelical Christians, I just heard this this morning, say there's more than one way to heaven. That tells me right off the bat they're not evangelical Christians. Just because people say they know God doesn't mean they do. And here's Daniel he knows when the evening hour of prayer is. He was a young boy when he was taken captive. So up until 13 years of age, no doubt, almost daily, he would see the smoke arising, or he'd be there when the sacrifice was taking place. And he fast forward 60 plus years to here. He still remembers, that's the time we prayed. That's the time we made sacrifice. That's the time we focused on the Lord. And he did not cease to do that. Daniel was a man who was standing for God when very few would. What is it God thrown him in the lion's den? What did he do? He prayed. And they knew that they could catch him in prayer because he always prayed. So this was a special time. Again, it would be the time, it was when Moses had Passover and then also when Jesus would go to the cross. And so Daniel, again, still had his heart on heaven, even though he was in captivity in Babylon. He still was focused on God's work back in Jerusalem, the land that God had given them. He's crying out to Almighty God. And again, we need to be faithful in prayer. He didn't let his worship to God stop just because he was in Babylon. Guys, I feel like we live in Babylon. We live in Babylon. The world around us curses God's name. Everybody's panicked about climate change. You know why? They don't know the one who holds the climate. Can I get an amen to that? They're all panicked about global warming when they should be worried about eternal flames instead. They're so, they're so worried about this world. The Bible says in the last days, men will worship the creation rather than the creator. We don't walk in fear. We walk by faith. We know the creator of the universe, and we don't have to, we don't have to be petrified by the things of this world. And the world walks in fear because they don't know God. And God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And guys, we live in Babylon. We're surrounded by ungodliness. We're surrounded by a world that's getting further and further away from God. Help us dare to be Daniels, to stand up for God when nobody else will. Amen? To stand for him. And again, he didn't stop because the temple was destroyed. What if they burned down all the churches in America? It could happen. Hopefully it doesn't, but it could. If it did, do we still worship? Do we still pray? Do we still study God's word? I think sometimes you have a tendency to base our worship on what other people are doing. So Gabriel has arrived for the answer to Daniel's prayer in regard to Jerusalem, Israel, and God's people. And again, I believe Gabriel appeared in a physical form. He refers to him as the man Gabriel, where often he had you know, shown up in a more angelic picture. So look at verse number one there, or point number one. Prayer is intimate fellowship between you and Almighty God. Point number two, those who walk closest to God have a greater understanding of who God is and his perfect will. So Gabriel shows up. He's been praying for the immediate. He's been praying that God would allow them to be released from Babylon at the end of the 70 years. Remember, he had read Jeremiah. He knew that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. He knew God was going to release them, and he prayed for it anyway. He prayed according to the word of God and the commands found in the word of God and the promises found in the word of God. He's saying, Lord, the 70 years is coming Please let us all go back. Let us reestablish the temple. Let us reestablish worship. So that's what he's focused on. Gabriel shows up and answers far more than what he was praying for. Look what it says in verse 22. 
It says there, and he informed me, that's Gabriel, and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you the skill to understand. How many would like the skill to understand? Let's pray for that. Amen. Lord, help me understand. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to get it, Lord. I'm thick. Help. When I'm making real big decisions, I literally will pray this. Lord, I'm so dumb. Hit me in the forehead with a two by four and show me what you want me to do. Can anybody relate to that at all? Lord, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to be outside of your will. I want to be right where you want me to be. And Daniel, he comes to him and says, look, I'm going to give you, God's sent me to help you understand. And he said there, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, a command went out and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. How amazing would it be to have an angel show up at your house look you in the eye and say, I have a message from God. You are greatly beloved. Well, the angel may not give you that message, but I'm going to give it to you because the Lord tells you, the word of God tells you that he loves you and he loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. And he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next time you feel unloved, the next time you feel you're of no value, remember value is determined by what someone is willing to pay. And what did Jesus pay for you? He went to the cross, suffered and died, torment, suffering and shame, endured it all because he loves you. That's our God. It was not nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you. You are beloved of God. Don't lose sight of that. The enemy will try to fill you with depression, anxiety, fear, make you feel like you're of no value, that your life's not worth it. It's all the enemy. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundant. Amen? So Daniel, he said, last week we saw the beginning of Daniel's prayer, and he understood by reading God's word again that he knew that the time was coming. So as he's praying, we see here that, uh, by the way, why were they in cap? Why did they have 70 years in Babylon? I'll give you the answer, and this ties into this morning's text. The Jews were called, and, they, and we're going to see that weeks can be days or it can be years. And they had Sabbath years. And so what would happen is when they would plant their, their agricultural stuff, when they would plant, every seventh year they were not to plant. They were to have a Sabbath year and let the ground lay as it was and then and dedicate that time to the Lord and then begin planting again. Well, for 490 years, they did zero Sabbaths. They just did what they wanted. By the way, do you know that farmers have found that if you let a, a, a land lay dormant for every seventh year, that your overall growth, uh, what you grow, will be greater than if you grow it every year? See, God knows what he's talking about. Amen? And so what happened is they had 490 years where they had not given God a Sabbath. So that's 70 Sabbaths that they owed him. Owed him. Guess what? He took them all at once. You're going to Babylon. You're going to be there 70 years. Here's those 70 years you should have been resting in me. Instead, you'll be in captivity. So he talks about a 490-year period, and Daniel understood that. And now the angel is going to tell him about another 490-year period. He's going to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel, and each of those weeks is seven years. So 70 weeks times seven years is 490 years. You're already getting a headache, but I promise I'll try to make it as simple as I can. So Daniel never asked for understanding, 
But as Daniel was passionately crying out to God, God is going to reveal great things to him. He proclaimed the greatness of God. He confessed the sins of the nation. He was crying out for God's grace and mercy. And God gives him more than he's asking for. Gabriel's answer goes far beyond what Daniel was seeking. The mercy and grace he cried out for on behalf of Jerusalem, God would grant it. But even more so, he was going to show much more. It could be argued that no one on the planet was closer to God than Daniel. I would engage that argument. I would take the team Daniel's side on that one. Daniel's the one guy that prayed and got in trouble. Daniel's the one guy that stood up and was willing to die for his faith. And we don't see at that time, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet who loves God more than Daniel does. And it's because of his intimate fellowship with God that Gabriel is going to go far beyond the 70 years of captivity to show him some sevens that will speak to the future events that will amaze him. Again, he's greatly beloved. Both Daniel and John were greatly beloved, and both of them were shown things that no one else was shown. So point number two there, those that walk closest with God have a great understanding of who God is and of his perfect will. Now the headache begins. Point number three, God has a plan for Israel and the Jews that has and will impact the known world. So notice what it says here. Seventy weeks are determined, verse 24, for your people and for your holy city, to finish transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. You guys all got that? Got that pretty nailed right there? Okay. So the 70 weeks, weeks can, that word in Hebrew can be seven days, but it can also be seven years. It's really 77. So it's seven periods of time. We know from scripture based on on the prophecies we're going to see, he's talking about years. And so there's going to be 77. That's 490 years. Now keep in mind, Daniel's having this, is praying this in the 500 plus BC. So if it was only 490 years, all would have been done. But we're going to see that it doesn't start immediately, this 490-year period, and that there's a break after 69 weeks for that final week, which is still in the future. And we're going to see that as we go through the text. But here's what I want you to see. By the way, it's in Leviticus 25, if you want to know where it says, for, for six years sow your fields, for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops, but the Sabbath year the Lord is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. And because they did not do that, they faced the consequences. So the Jews had sabbatical years, and so these 77 speak of 490-year period. You know, it's interesting, the, word se- the term 70, the number 70 is often seen in connection with Israel. Uh, seven in the Bible is the number of completion, 10 is the number of the law, but those two together is 70. But there's significance. When Jacob brought his family down to Egypt during the famine, there were 70 people in Jacob's family, 70. And that, that was all of Israel at the time, 70 people. There's an interesting uh, phrase found in Deuteronomy that gives some significance to the number 70. It says in Deuteronomy, when the Most High divided the inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. And God made uh, a sort of, divided the nations, it's in Genesis chapter 10, and he made 70 nations. So 70 is in the Bible in a lot of ways pertaining to Israel. Its descendants came from Noah's three sons, 
um, the people who would repopulate the world, and there were 70 nations listed. So God picked 70 nations before there were 70 people. When Moses was leading the nations of the wilderness toward the promised land, he set up a group of 70 elders who would help him handle the judicial matters. Remember, Moses is a pastoring a church of 3 million whiners. You got to hug that brother when you get to heaven, okay? <laughs> he had 3 million whiners wandering through the wilderness. They even wanted to go back to Egypt. They moaned, they complained, they whined, and he had to answer all of their questions and doubts. And his father-in-law, Jethro, goes, dude, you're going to die just overseeing these people. So he raised up 70 elders to help him. Uh, Jeremiah said the captivity would last for 70 years. That's the one that Daniel read. In Luke 10, Jesus sent out 70 disciples as a mission team to reach the nation of Israel. So the focus of the 490 years is prophecy to the Jewish people. So as we read this, this is prophecy for Israel. It will impact us, but it was for Israel and for Jerusalem and it's for his people. We saw that it was for his people. Notice it says there, for the second part of uh, verse 24, for your people and for your holy city. Who's his people? Israel, the Jews. And what's the holy city? Jerusalem. These 70 weeks were focused on Daniel's people, the Jews, and his holy city. It's the nation of Israel. And again, so notice what things are going to happen in this next 70 weeks, this next 490 years. Three of these take, took, have been taken care of at the cross. The other three will take place when Jesus comes back. And that's all going to take place in this 490-year period of time that we'll talk about as we keep going through. So the first one is, he says there, uh, to finish the transgression. Transgression is stepping over the line. You know, the old covenant, the high priest sprinkled blood once a year inside the Holy of Holies to cover the sins of the nation. Sacrifices were made ongoing. It says in Hebrews 10, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, they were making sacrifices morning and evening. And then they had special feasts where they made more sacrifices. Then they had the annual sacrifice on Yom Kippur when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. All of that, of course, is pointing to Jesus. Because the Ark of the Covenant, you, what do you, when you went in there, there was angels on each side of the Ark and there would be blood in the middle. And when they walked in on Resurrection Sunday, they saw angels at the, on each side of where Jesus laid and bloodstained clothes in the middle. Guys, the Bible rocks and all points to Jesus. Amen? So here they are. They're making these sacrifices and they keep making them because the blood of bulls and goats cannot cover, take care of our sin. It's pointing to the one who would. When Jesus died on the cross... He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And when he died, he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. And that's why we're not dragging lambs in here on Saturdays. Can I get an amen to that? We don't have to do that anymore. And he was saying that these are the things during the 490 years that will take place. And the first one was the finish of transgressions. Do people still sin? What's the answer? But is it paid for now if we surrender? Then he says to make an end of sin. Now, in this case, in context, it's the end of the guilt of sin. The guilt of our sin is washed away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the guilt for our sin was taken away. We made white as snow. When he sees us, he sees us through the shed blood of his son. This also would take place. There's no longer a need to bring sacrifices. It's been paid in full. It's an end to the guilt of sins. That was going to take place in the future for Daniel. It's taken place in the past for us when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. Number three there, to make reconciliation 
for iniquity. Man's iniquity must be reconciled to God's holiness and justice. Reconciling sinful man back to holy God. So here's what sin does. It separates. Sin separates. You've heard me say this a hundred times. One more won't hurt you. It's an archery term. Sin, it's a sin distance. It's, it's how far you land from the bullseye. The bullseye is perfection, and the distance between where your dart or where your arrow lands is called the sin distance because you're separated from the mark. You've missed the mark. You're separated from perfection. Well, all have sinned. None of us is perfect. There's only one who has been, and that's Jesus Christ. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And here's the good news. When Jesus went to the cross, he reconciled that separation. If you've given your life to the Lord, you're no longer separated from him, but you're in fellowship with him. He's adopted you into his family. He's made you a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. He's written his, your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. He, there's no erasers. Thank you, Jesus. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? And you've been adopted. No one will ever snatch you out of his hand. That reconciliation took place at the cross of Calvary. These were things he was talking about in the future, not only for Israel in this case, but for all of us. And he's letting Israel know, letting the Jews know that he died for them as well. So the first three we see being fulfilled again at the cross. These next three will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes back. So if you flip over your... Uh, notes. You got an outline on the back. Hopefully this will help you. And so we're going to see in a few verses the decree to go out to rebuild the temple. And, and we'll, we'll look at this in depth. But what I want you to understand is when you get to the very end of it, at the, very, at the 70th week, notice that at the end of the 69th week, there's going to be a, a time period where nothing is taking place prophetically. And what it is, is called the church age. And we're in that right now. So from the book of Acts chapter 2 until now, we're in the church age. When Jesus raptures the church and we're gone, they will now enter into the seven-year tribulation. During that last week, that seven-year tribulation, again, we will see horrific events. I'll go to, through it in a moment. But at the end of that seven-year tribulation, Jesus comes back with us. So at the rapture, he comes for us. He takes us home. At the end of it, he comes with us. And they, they will be trying to fight the army of God from Armageddon, Armageddon, where I've seen it many times, perfect place for a battle. We will come back with them. We will defeat the enemy. God will defeat the enemy. We'll just be behind him. By the way, good place to be, right behind Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Just Jesus, you get him. I'll just stand right here, okay? And then we are going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth, seeing what the world would be like with Jesus Christ on the throne. How's that going to be? And then at the end of that, he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. We'll spend eternity with Almighty God. So guys, that's that, amen. The rapture of the church, that seven-year period. I'll get back to this. I'll have you flip this back over later. But So I just want you to understand that, that now he's talking about things that will take place when Jesus comes back with us and we enter into millennial kingdom. And so these are the three things that he talks about here. He says, to bring everlasting righteousness. This hasn't happened yet, but it will happen when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. Uh, it says in Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise, raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved uh, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he shall be called the Lord of righteousness. There's a day coming when the Lord will wipe away our, even our ability to sin. During the millennial kingdom, 
Those who have gone to heaven and come back with the Lord, we will not even have the capability to sin. We will not have a sin nature. Righteousness will be stamped on us, and that's how we will live forever and ever and ever, and praise God for that. Amen? That's a part of heaven we don't even think about. How many of you guys sinned this week? Okay, guess what? There's a week coming when you won't, and that's after we come back with the Lord. Amen? And the righteousness of God will take place, but it won't take place again until we come back with the Lord. Then it says there, to seal up vision and prophecy. This is speaking about the prophecies all being fulfilled. This has not happened yet, but all will be done uh, cultivating with the reign of the Son of God. So there's more prophecy that we're going to see in these next two verses that haven't taken place yet. There's a day coming when they will all take place, and that will only happen when Jesus comes back with us. Now, at the end of the millennial kingdom, uh, we do know that Satan, who's going to be cast into the, he's going to be bound for the thousand years, will come back. People born during the millennial kingdom will have an opportunity to accept or reject the Lord. They will be living much like us, human lives with the ability to sin. We will be reigning with the Lord over them. And in a thousand years, you could certainly see the population getting to billions of people. If, they're, if, they're, if people are living really long lives, and I believe that they will, they'll be populating the earth, will be ruling and reigning with the Lord over them. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be loosed, and many of those people will follow Satan amazingly after Jesus ruling and reigning on the earth in front of them. Tragic. Amen? But what he's saying here is those, the, the end of prophecy takes place at the end of that time when we enter into eternity with Almighty God. That hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And then finally and to anoint the most holy. Now, who do you think that is? It's the Lord. To anoint the most holy. The word anoint there is to uh, spread a liquid, to anoint, to smear. This is the root word where we get the word Messiah, the anointed one. The most holy means the set apart one. He's, uh, he's, he's apart and separated from the world. He's perfect and he's holy. The Hebrew uh, repeats that word twice for most holy. It's the same phrase used in, when speaking of the Holy of Holies in Exodus. This could refer to the reestablishing of the Holy of Holies after the Antichrist desecrates it, but I think it just points to the, uh, Jesus the Messiah being anointed by the Jews when he returns. Do you know there's, halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to rise up. He's going to draw people unto himself. All the Christians are gone. Imagine the mayhem. Look at what COVID did when people had a flu bug and how, how the whole world was just upside down. And again, it was serious. You take it serious to some degree, but it's also blown out of proportion. But here's the reality, is that all that was taking place and people were in full panic mode. Imagine when all the Christians leave. Amen. By the way, um, I don't care because I'm going to heaven, but if you've got two Christian pilots, you better be saved. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> amen? Planes, cars, problems. More importantly, the Holy Spirit's going with us. Imagine this world and the mayhem that will take place. And then the Antichrist, he's going to be a good-looking guy. He's going to be charismatic. He's going to be able to control a room. And he's going to, have, and he's going to literally be... Uh, and, and Satan's going to dwell in him. He's going to be possessed by Satan. Not a demon, Satan. And he's going to have all these people coming to himself because he's going to come up with an answer. Maybe it's going to be famine. I don't know what it's going to be, and I don't really care. But whatever the problem is, he's going to have an answer, and they're going to draw him into himself. He's going to have a false prophet. 
that's going to make a, a one-world religion, all of them turning and trying to, to focus on worshiping the Antichrist. Then you're going to have to take the mark of the beast to say that you align with the Antichrist. And if you don't, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't do anything. And there's a good potential they're going to decapitate you when they find you without the mark of the beast. By the way, you know, getting your dog tagged is not the mark of the beast, okay? <laughs> getting a shot is not the mark of the beast. The people that take the mark of the beast will know that they're aligning themselves to the Antichrist. Amen? I've had Christians say, oh man, I've got a chip in my credit card. I've got to get rid of it. It's the mark. That's not the mark of the beast, okay? But it does show you the capability of the mark of the beast, where people can walk in and wave their hand over something and don't need money anymore. And if you don't have that, you can't buy and sell. But you know what's going to happen three and a half years in? He's going to have all the answers. He's going to have the false prophet pointing to him. But here's what's going to happen. Three and a half years in, he's going to stand in the temple and he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And then is when the greatest of the tribulation will come. And if you were here for Revelation, 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky. Where do you hide from that? We're going to see a third of the world's population die in a day. Another third of the world's population die in a day. I mean, there's going to, the, the water's going to turn bitter. God's going to bring righteous judgment upon those who are living lives in open rebellion against him. That's why he raptures us first, because God has not appointed us under wrath. Amen? At the end of that seven years is when they, the Lord will come back and they will turn to fight against Almighty God and God will have victory. Guys, it's good to know what the Bible says because it gives us peace about the future. Amen? And so they're going to anoint the most holy. And there is a point where the Jews will recognize he was the Messiah all along. And I believe millions will be saved. Millions. And this is why we want to provoke the Jews to jealousy by living in such a way that points people to Jesus. Amen? All right, verse 25. Point number four. God is in control and faithful to his promises. Look what it says here. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be, 67, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So here's what's amazing. So if you take, I'm a math guy, so I love this. So seven weeks, that first seven weeks, flip this back over. You'll notice where it says seven weeks right there under the 69 weeks under verse 25. The seven weeks are the 49 years to complete the rebuilding of Jerusalem. We know from Nehemiah 2, which we will be looking at this Thursday, that he's going to rebuild the wall in 52 days. He's going to be sent out by Artaxerxes and he's going to go rebuild the wall. But to, to, to rebuild Jerusalem, it's going to take them 49 years. Then the 62 weeks you see after that is another 434 years. You put those two together, it's 483 years. Now, there are different decrees that went out when Ezra was told to go back, when Zerubbabel went back, when different people went back. But the one that we know is the one that counts is when they were told to go back and rebuild the wall in the city. And that was told to Nehemiah. Now, I love the Bible because in Nehemiah, it gives us the date. You ever wonder why you read a Bible a verse and you go, why is this date in there? What's it got to do with anything? It's always in there for a reason, amen? amen? So it tells them exactly the date. It's in Nehemiah chapter 2. And he tells them, and, and basically the date, it talks about in the month of Nisan. We don't have Nisan. I think they were called Dotsons before that, right? <laughs> but the reality is we don't have Nisan. But that's during a time of the year, again, it, it's in, it, for us today, it would be in March. But here's the thing. When you calculate the date that he was commanded to go out, it's March 14th, 
445 BC. Now, they only had 360-day calendars. And what they did, they didn't have leap years. They'd have a leap month every once in a while. Well, what happened is they had a 360-day calendar. It was a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. And every once in a while, they would drop another month in there to try to readjust things. But they had 360 days. So if you take, if you take 483 years and you multiply it by 360 days, you have 173,880 days. So from the day that the command went out to go back and rebuild the city on March 14th, 445 BC, if you had 173,880 days, guess what happens? What does it say in this text? Until Messiah the Prince. If you add those date, it comes to the exact date when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the donkey in his triumphant entry as he heads into Jerusalem, where he would then be crucified and then raised from the dead and redeem all sinful men and women. Tell me the Bible doesn't rock. 173,880 days to the day. Guys, the Bible is true. Now look, you have to work a little bit to find that, but it's all in the word. Amen. And a lot of people say, well, I don't understand prophecy. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Read the book. Can I get an amen? Open it up. Read it. We have to dig into it sometimes. But I love this picture. And then it even says of the rebuilding of it, the street will be built again, even in troublesome times. In Nehemiah, he's going to talk about building with one hand and having a sword in the other. Because as he's building, he's going to be under attack. Guys, the word of God is true. It says in Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shouting, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your, con- your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. It's in Zechariah talking about his triumphal entry. Again, hundreds of years before it took place. In Luke 19, it says, Because the Jews had not been scholars of the word, they missed the Messiah. They missed it. If they had opened it up, they would have known he was coming. Now, some were there when he came, weren't they? What were they singing? What were they crying out? Hosanna, save now we pray you. Some of those same people, four days later, what were they crying out? Crucify him. But it's 483 years from the command to rebuild Jerusalem, given to Nehemiah, to the coming of the prince, and it's to the day the Bible rocks. You know what that means? God's in control, amen? God sees the future. God knows what's coming. We can trust in that that prophecy we can trust in the ones to come. I'm running out of time. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. What is that talking about? That, that should be plain. What is it? Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. What is it? It's the cross. The word cut off there literally means executed. If you look in the original language, the Messiah will be executed And when it says executed, it means by the government, somebody over him. He's not going to die of a heart attack, right? He's going to be executed, but not for himself. Jesus went to the cross, but not for himself. He went to the cross for us. Amen? And he's talking about this 500 plus years before Jesus did it. Guys, the Bible rocks. Prophecy is true. The word of God is always right. Amen? Then he says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, there was, when you see prophecy in scripture, there's usually, often there's a, a foreshadowing of that ultimate prophecy that will take place in the future. Now, in AD 70, 
less than 30 years, or less than 40 years after Jesus died on the cross, the, the entire, all of Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed and was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar in this case, Nebuchadnezzar was with Daniel. It was destroyed by uh, Nero, uh, Caesar Nero, who was, who was a picture of the Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist, the Antichrist is still to come. But there are many Antichrists that become before the Antichrist. Hitler, in my mind, there's no doubt, is a picture of the Antichrist. Anybody who wants to wipe every Jew off the face of the earth, why the Jews? Why are they always? I think Hamas is a picture of the Antichrist. Amen? Ungodly, murderous, and want the Jews killed. Why is there so much hatred for a nation that's the size of New Jersey? You know why? Because they're God's people and the enemy hates them. Amen? And I love that when, I talk, when I'm talking to the rabbi who invited me to this, it's, it's a place we used to meet. He said this when I met him. He goes, the one thing I know about evangelical Christians, if we get in trouble and we are fighting to the death, the only people that will stand with us next to us and die with us are the evangelical Christians. And I'm glad he believes that because when we're raptured, it's going to open his eyes to the fact that the people that loved him the most and stood next to him the most are the people that knew the true and living God. Amen? And we want to provoke them to jealousy and we want them to see that. The Messiah will be cut off. Jesus will go to the cross for us. He's a faithful God, a loving God, a merciful God, and we don't deserve what he does for us. Final verse. So the 69 weeks were fulfilled. The city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary of the people was destroyed as the angel declared and marvelously accurate fulfillment of his prophecy in history. However, Gabriel said there was one more week. The Messiah is cut off after 69 sevens. Where's the 70th one? Look at verse 27. Then there shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now this he is the Antichrist. So he will come out of the same nation as those who destroyed Israel in AD 70. And so he will come from a European nation. He will come from a, what used to be Rome. And he will become the one who is the, the Antichrist. And it says for one week. Now again, a week is seven years in this case. Because a week, it's one seven. So it could be seven days or seven years. It's seven years. And it says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So he's going to more than likely be the one that rebuilds the temple to get the Jews to align with him. You know, there's a spot, if you get on the, up on the Sermon on the Mount, there's, a, there's a, a Muslim mosque there. But right next to it is just the right, we would have been there right now, by the way, our trip, I think we'd still be there. But what, what's interesting is right next to it is a place where the temple could be built. I believe the temple will be built. That is his way that he will bring the Jews together with Islam and everyone else, and they will all worship him. But notice what it says here, and I might go over a few minutes, but let me finish. It says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifices and offerings. Here's, he's going to let them make sacrifices again. They're going to be excited. You know, the Jews have every instrument in place to, if the temple started being rebuilt tomorrow, they've already got the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the, you know, they've got everything and they're ready they just need the ability to start building it. And it could happen pretty quickly. And it will happen, I believe, after we're gone. So the rebuilding of the temple, but three and a half years in, he's going to go in and show himself to be who he is. It says, and the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. It's called the abomination of desolation. Even until the consummation, which is determined, if poured out in the desolate. He's going to go in and make a sacrifice. Many people may, you know, like Nero, may, he may sprinkle blood on the altar of a pig. That's what... I, but whatever he does, he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And all those who aligned under him, and specifically the Jews, are going to recognize this guy's a liar. He's not the Messiah we were looking for. He's a false prophet. You know what? It was Jesus. 
And God's going to use that. And that's when this great uh, transformation and this great coming of people getting saved. So between verse 26 and 27 is where we are right now. The Messiah has been cut off. We're in the, we're in the church age. The 69 sevens have taken place. If you look at that chart on the back, there's that gap of time, verse 26. Again, it says there, you know, Messiah's cut off. Jerusalem and the sanctuary has been destroyed. And now we're in the church age. And the only thing left is that last week. And when does that last week start? When the church is raptured. Is there anything else that needs to happen for the church to be raptured? What's the answer? Absolutely not. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm ready. I'll go, even though the Niners are playing today. I'll go right now. <laughs> I want heaven more than anything. How about you? Won't it be glorious? I don't, I'll tell you what, I'm close right now, but we don't think about heaven enough. Amen? When we get to heaven, we're going to go, why did I eat so healthy? I could have been here sooner. Amen? <laughs> I'm eating tri-tip and Taco Bell till I get to heaven, right? You know, the reality is that heaven is going to be so amazing. That's why nobody comes back. Amen? If you went to anybody in heaven, you want to No, no, no. I'm in heaven. I'm with Almighty God. By the way, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more politics, no more nonsense. We want to be glorious, and we'll see our Savior face to face. And guys, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell, because the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. Amen? So quickly, in closing, I know that was a lot, fire hose, right? But 70 weeks of Daniel, prayer is intimate fellowship between you and Almighty God. You want to be closer to God, spend more time in His Word, more time in His presence. Number two, those who walk closest to God have a greater understanding of who God is and His perfect will. Why do some people know so much more about the Lord and have such a great faith, maybe a greater faith than, than you have, a greater a faith that you would desire? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by... So if you want your faith to grow, spend more time in the Word, spend more time in prayer, spend more time in His presence. Thirdly, God has a plan for Israel and the Jews that has, has and will impact the whole world that already has. We saw, you know, by the way, Jesus, Jew. Book, Bible written by? About a Jewish Savior. Amen? How can a Christian be anti-Semitic? That, that's nonsense. Amen? And I'll tell you, like I said, if I was 25, I'd go fighting the IDF. That's how pro-Israel I am. I'd be going for it. Now, lastly, God is in control and is faithful to his promises. I want to encourage you to take a look at this if you have some time later and just see this is the, this is the plan laid out, given to Daniel. It's in the word of God. God has fulfilled all of it until the last week. So guess what? The last week's coming and it could be any day. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Oh, we ask, Lord, that we would live every day in light of eternity. The Lord, we would truly be ready, be comforted, but also be vigilant, knowing that the day is coming soon. And until then, Lord, we have a vapor of time to be about it for your kingdom, to tell others about you, to point people to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray for divine appointments. We pray that we would treat people with love and respect, but also give us boldness to proclaim the truth and to do it in love. Lord, we know you have us here for a reason. It's to know you and to make you known, to fulfill the great commission, to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. Lord, may we not be so comfortable in this world that we cease to be effective for eternity. 
So Lord, we're thankful for the promises found in your word. We're thankful that you've written our names down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're thankful that no one can snatch us out of your hand. We're thankful, Lord, that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory, and we're going to see you face to face. Lord, may we be excited. May we live with joy, knowing what comes before us, even in spite of the trials we may go through in this life. You are a great and an awesome God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.